The growth of indoor girls club volleyball was happening all over the country, but no one had ever seen anything like what was happening in the middle of California at a tournament officially called Volleyball Festival that was known to many simply as Davis. That was because Dave and Bernice Epperson had grown the tournament, which started in 1984, to an event big enough to move parts of it to the University of California at Davis, a college 16 miles west of Sacramento off Interstate 80. Combining the gyms on the Davis campus with as many as 34 other sites, by the late 80s, the Eppersons were running a thousand team extravaganza on 134 courts spread across four counties. And they managed to do it all without cell phones. I'm a Venice, California-born, Los Angeles-based sports fan. One that has played, coached, announced, and promoted sports my whole life. My love affair with sports started in my own backyard and has led me to this podcast. Thanks to the support of the Amateur Athletic Union in East Bay, I'm excited to bring you Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Hello, sports historians. Welcome to audio video podcast number 54 of Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. The COVID and wildfires and the like are taking its toll on the city we produce from Los Angeles. But as we sit here today, the Lakers have won the 2020 NBA championship. The Dodgers are in the NLCS and the Rams are four and one. Hey, you got to count your blessings. This is part two of the story of Bernice and Dave Epperson creating the event that changed the sport of junior volleyball the Volleyball Festival. Before we go much further, we need to say hello to our SSDL producer, the 2004 International House of Pancakes, St. Jerome Girls Basketball Invitational Most Valuable Player, Marley Rice. Heck yeah, two things. Lakers yep. brought it home, back to the city. This one was for Kobe. Thanks, LeBron. And I really don't like pancakes. <laughs> uh, just, just thought I'd mention that. That uh, was the MVP IHOP. trophy, yeah. Yeah, at least they <laughs> called my name right, Marley. They did, that time. That's nice. Uh, hey, guys, welcome back to another episode. I hope you're enjoying the Epperson story, and we can't wait to get to part two. Um, I just have a quick announcement. Make sure you guys go subscribe to us on YouTube. Mm-hmm. If you're listening on Apple or iHeart or anywhere you're listening, head on over to our YouTube, youtube.com slash SSDL. We go live on Wednesdays uh, with our Preps to Olympian show and on Fridays with our Happy Hour show, and that's at 5 p.m. Pacific time. So tune in. Listen to Denny talk the talk yep. some stuff with some people. Um, so Preps to Olympians, those are some really cool shows, and our Happy Hour is always, always a good time. Yep, there's a live chat, and you can also call into the show, so we hope you'll join us for those. Hey, I'm on uh, Twitter, at SportsStoriesDL. I put out plenty of information there, plus always running some kind of poll. Karch uh, Karai and Sinjin Smith poll has been pretty popular. Who's your favorite Anthony Davis in L.A., huh? Who's that? Either Anthony Davis that just won a title or the Anthony Davis that tore it up for USC in the 70s. Who had a better catch, Willie Mays in the 54 World Series or Cody Bellinger in Game 2 against the Padres in the NLDS? There's videos and images. You can vote. It's always important to vote, so we hope you'll join us there. Yes. We again want to thank Roger Gowdy of the Amateur Athletic Union and, of course, Brian Kelly, son-in-law to the Eppersons, who help us arrange this interview with Dave Epperson in Houston. 
This story is a part of youth sports history. In this episode, we get to hear about the troubles the Eppersons had with USA Volleyball, go figure, the value-added components to the event, the move to the Sacramento Convention Center, and the eventual move to Phoenix, where the Volleyball Festival lives today. Reminder that the audio we had captured via the headphones was lost due to a software problem, but thankfully, our audio specialist, Chris Allport, was able to put together this interview from the surrounding cameras. Thank you again, Chris Alpert. And our most heartfelt thanks go out to Dave and Bernice Epperson for making us feel welcome in their home. From Space City in what was the Republic of Texas, here's part two from Houston with volleyball pioneer, Dave Epperson. Please note this interview was recorded on December 17th of 2019. Can you talk a little bit about the parent workshops? Because um, you seem to have particular right. interest right. in, um, I guess, educating right. parents. Yeah, most most of the parents, particularly in those days, they didn't. The, the fathers didn't play volleyball because there wasn't adoption in high school, and the mothers didn't play because they had there, there weren't any opportunities for the mothers during that time. Yeah, yeah. So they didn't know much about the sport. So one of the things we wanted to do was to educate them about the sport. That was one of the first things that we opened. But we also wanted, we, we also realized that in other sports, there were the, the sideline behavior of coaches and parents was uh, was out of control oftentimes. And we didn't want that to be a characteristic of our event. So we made sure that we made it clear that we, uh, we wanted them to learn how to be appreciative of the team, but at the, same, at, the, at, the, at the same time, we wanted them to cheer and have a good time, but we didn't like them to interrupt and interfere with the competition. And so that 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 has been a part of my the programming and parent education that I that we started in '84, and it's continued through uh, this work I'm doing, currently doing the writing. Now you, um, the other thing you did is uh, officials training. Yes, we did. We worked with the officials association, and they brought in uh, video. This was in the early days. They brought in video, uh, video equipment, and they videotaped some of it, and then they would critique it. This, you know, senior members of the uh, volleyball community would critique the the, the people that were uh, just learning. That's so. There's so many innovations that you are pushing through at this event. And you're, you're obviously pushing the sport a little bit. And what I'm going to assume is that USA is starting to borrow some of your ideas. You know, very much so. Yes. And when it's at some point, I think there was some discrepancy over qualifications or something along these lines with USA volleyball. Uh, the the issue that that they had was we became we became competitive with them. And it was it was creating some problems for them, and so they it, it, it became more difficult for them to get behind our event. And, was, and was at the same time, time diminished. Pardon me. Was it right at the same time? Is that why? Or uh, no? At the outset, we used to try to schedule the two different at different times. But then USAV said that's too much trouble to try to work around the, <laughs> uh, the, the volleyball festival. So let's run head to head with them. And so that, that created some tension, of course. Why does that sound like USA Volleyball? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, uh -huh. yes. I, I was their first hire in about 
2005 or so. I was their first hire in their beach volleyball department. Uh -huh. And so I, um, you know, I their, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I sat at that table often and I said, ah. okay. so I could see that. So this was, was this uh, like late eighties, early nineties kind of time when they started to say, oh, well, uh, it sounded, I remember. Yeah, I mean, it was in the, I think it was late eighties. Yeah. Nineties. Now this is around the time, like I, I'm coaching a lot right. and my um, kids at my uh, Catholic grammar school are improving rapidly. Mm -hmm. And so then they start to accelerate in the sport and they go to club. And then I'm starting to hear about Davis and mm -hmm. that's, that's how it came back uh -huh. on our, you know, uh -huh. I, I know some people call it festival. Some people call it Davis because I would imagine that was your home base for, right. for your championships. That's right. And then in particular, what I heard about was how you would have the championship game and everybody would come to the championship yes. game. We were a couple of my girls made it to that championship and they said, you wouldn't believe how many people were there. That's and right. they were so excited. We have, have 3,000 people. Yeah. What the heck? Yeah. What the heck? <laughs> yeah but the... Um, uh, that's that's been a, that was an important. The, the Davis experience was something that prepared us for the rest of the uh, our, our tenure. Uh -huh. We had we had we had a uh, hundred and thirty four courts, and they were spread over four uh, over four uh, counties. <laughs> And we, this was before cell phones, and, and we couldn't even use fax machines because the, the coaches' rooms were, were locked, and we couldn't oh. get into the coaches' room. Of course, in the summer. Yeah. yeah. And so we had to do it all just by well, what would person. What would a parent do? How, 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 how would I figure this out if I'm driving up? Where do I go? Do I get some kind of handout or something? Yes, yeah, they, they would. And then... The, Everything worked, worked, worked really <laughs> well unless they would get some bad information. And but this, I'll give you an example of, of the the, the, the um, commitment that these clubs made to the sport and how grateful they were for the opportunity. One of our teams was uh, one of the teams that came from Southern California uh, was from Laguna Beach, and I knew the the, the head of the club, which was who was a parent. And they got sent uh, 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 20 miles uh, north, I mean, yeah, 20, 20 miles north of Sacramento. And then they got and they got there and they said, no, you're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be 20 miles south. Oh, no. And, and then they, when they got to that place, they said, no, 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 you're supposed to be back at, at Sacramento State University, which is right between them. So I got wind of that. And I went, uh, to, I, I grabbed a, a whole handful of t-shirts so that I could distribute those to the, to the team. And I got there, I got there and I was just, I, I dreaded the thought of the, kind of the kind of reception I was going to get. And I went to the coach and said, you know, I really apologize for this. This is really crappy. And, and, and he said, oh, no big deal. No big deal. And so that was the spirit in which the the, the, the participants in, at that era, in that era, in that era in that well, you earned that, you know, you built that capital up because right. of, of all of these value-added items, right, right, and you guys were clearly, you know, pushing the boundaries, and I bet right. enough people, you know, appreciated what you're doing that they're going to forgive the mistake. Yeah, well, and, you know, that, that gets me to uh, value-added 
you know, uh, Paul Sunderman and, and, and Marlowe were doing beach beach volleyball yeah. at that time. And so we hired them to come and do the, uh, the volleyball festival, and they put it on the Southern California uh, networks, but they shared that with those networks elsewhere. And so oh, we goodness. were able to, we, it was a very expensive enterprise that we had to spend a lot of money to get them there, but it was that added value that the parents really, oh, you really appreciated. Well, now, let Brian tell you how, how we handle that now. Well, yeah, so we went from the actual you know, TV broadcasts, which were always kind of taped away, and then mm -hmm. obviously with today's internet broadcasting, we're able to do more of a live version. And then, of course, with you know our partner today, which is Baller TV, Baller TV, we're able to broadcast every court, every court, every, every game, game, every game, which is something amazing. I, I, I would like to think that um, I could have saw this coming, you know, because that was one of the first things um, I did with beach volleyball. Mm -hmm. When we first started running it, is we go to the local cable, mm -hmm. the media programming, right, and, and ask them to come down, and I just call the game myself. Uh -huh. But just the perception of being on TV—that's something I could never imagine was the streaming, right? And yeah. so, but what you put together, it sounds like early on, was the ability to use. Where did you get the production? Who came and did? Well, well the, was it the, the local? The, 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 no, the Southern California. Uh, I've forgotten the name. The, like Crime Network or something like yeah, that? Yeah, which that's what it was. Yeah, uh, yeah Crime Network. Look out. Way to go. That's, that's, a, that's a bold move because what happens is when, when you do that is people videotaped it. The girls mm -hmm. that might either have been on or right. their friends around or something, they would videotape it and they would have that and then put it in every option. So you don't just get that one play. Right. No. You get multiple plays and it right. builds brand. And then right. if you got a professional crew like that calling it, Right, they're going to memorize what they say. They're going to say, "Did you hear what something?" Right, boy, that that builds upon itself. Mm -hmm. That was a good play. How did you get that out nationally? Oh, Prime you got it out. They, they yeah. opened that. You know, they said, "You know, you can come and buy it. You know, buy this product." And some of them that's awesome. Them. Not 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 all of the networks did, but of course they did. And all the different sense. regional networks would pick yeah. it up, and I think later on it became those Fox and all the different Fox yeah. regional networks. We're on Prime the. Backyard tournaments on development. Right. I eventually got them on Prime Network. Uh, they made all the difference. Everybody seemed to know about it also. Yeah. I would imagine it was the same with you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So now tell me a little bit about you. To me, in doing my research, it seemed to be like you almost created this idea, this industry of youth sports being able to like be recognized as an economic um, right. positive right. to a community. Mm -hmm. Because I I can't get my mind around anything else that would have said, well, we're doing this many hotel rooms, they're going out to dinner. Right. That kind of, right. We're that standard now. Right. When did that when did that kind of it, it just kind of evolved and one of the reasons that it didn't evolve earlier uh, was is because most of the people that were trying to promote these events were coaches and they had no no experience as administrator. And I'd been an administrator the university and I helped with my father's business and and so I was able to, uh, to to take advantage of some of that information that I had and even to this day very few coaches have been able to to, to take it take on administrative assignments yeah. like getting uh, getting getting sponsors they couldn't get sponsors they couldn't negotiate with the local Chamber of Commerce for uh, for for hotel rooms and so forth. So 
Wow. So that so so that evolved and that allowed you to kind of have a I don't know, a level of credibility around your event. Right. Right? Because I I don't even remember you know professional events didn't even necessarily market themselves for a long time like that, right? In terms of their impact. And it kind of grew out of necessity. I don't think if they were released when they started it, they didn't really think of it as an economic you know, no, it wasn't influencer or a business. Yeah. It was really just to help facilitate the sport, grow the sport, get the sport started in other parts of the country, and get them to come to this national event and share in the community, which was what was great about Davis. If you talk with anyone about yeah. the Davis Festival, you know the, the barbecue during that championship day. Was, they remember that as much as anything. That's right. Coaches remember the graduate where they're you know trading stories, waiting for the results to get posted up on the uh, window, up on the windows in. Davis would always say that was their second Christmas was during June. Right? I mean, they did as much retail business during that period as they did during, yeah. during the Christmas season. And you feel the responsibility too when you run a big event like that yeah. um, because parents are taking that as their vacation and, yeah. uh, and they'll come out from another part. And so you want it to be. Well, we had a thousand teams, a thousand at, that, teams. at that point. And then that was when we had the 34 sites. 34 sites? Yes. Wow. Yeah, the, the court map. The, 34 sites. The, the map the map oh, that you mentioned oh. was probably about you know, 10 to 12 pages. Oh, that's a lot of negotiating. Yeah, it is. And, and, and but that's, 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 even that's the reason that it hadn't developed earlier. Because there, was, there were no people available that had the kind of uh, competencies that are needed in order to accomplish How many cars did you go through? <laughs> you <laughs> must have been driving everywhere all the time. Yes. 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 Wow. Thirty-four sites. I got around every site. That's Thirty-four sites. The supply chain logistics, because we had to get lunches out to those people. Yeah, we had to get food out to these folks. I mean, it, it was a it, it was an administrative nightmare, and and it was very exhausting. I mean, we used to get two or three or four hours sleep at night. Of course. Yeah. Well, we, 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 you know, uh, with producer Marvin Rice uh, today, uh, we know that drill because we work with the indoor nationals, uh -huh. but we also we directly run the beach nationals, uh -huh. which we're now nothing like what you guys own. We're just on both sides of the pier, but we're on close to 80 courts. Mm -hmm. And um, so we know how these results come in at different times and right, two right. hours of sleep means and all that stuff. But 34 sites, that is insane. How about the mid-90s is when they, they built the Sacramento Convention Center, which we thought, you know, we were in heaven because we could put, like, what, 30? Yeah, 32 courts in the, in the building. So we eliminated at least half our sites. Yeah. But <laughs> so that, that 35. Now, did you, um, I would imagine your um, your family started to come to work for the, for the uh, tournament. Well, they did from the over. beginning. From right. the beginning. Anna, Anna, as soon as she graduated from... <laughs> from high school, she came and started working at the festival. That's her, that yeah. is, and Brian's wife. Well, she played in the first festival. Yeah, yeah she uh, played yeah. in the first one. That's I think it's cool. And Mara played in the first one and the second one. Okay. And then they both so, went to play volleyball at Rice. And they, oh, is that right? Yeah, they both played at Rice. Okay. Anna set, uh, set a kill record there. It's a five foot six inch outside hit. Oh. <laughs> you can get away with being five foot six on uh, the outside. Uh -huh. Nice. It's good when her sister sat there too. Right? <laughs> yeah, her sister was. So she gave me a attempt record. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, good. She, yeah, she had, she had a, she had a, a school uh, kill record that 
that lasted for from several years. Oh, that's fantastic. So now tell me a little bit about the transition from kind of Sacramento. So it's I think we're what we are we talking about? Two thousand or something? Yeah, we Brian, do you remember the year we went? It would have been two thousand three. Two thousand three. We went up to Reno because they had a, a, a convention facility that would house seventy four courts, and so we were able to use that plus a couple of other sites, and we were able to get the number of courts we needed. I think that year we had maybe nine hundred teams. The first year we were there, so, and, and and was it um, a difficult transition? Um, no, no, it was an easy transition. It was easier, yeah. an easy transition because we didn't have as many sites, that we, and we had a we had a crew, we had a, a bunch of staff that stayed with us and are still with us to this day, uh, the, the, who, who brought their expertise to, uh, from when we moved from one location to the next. We didn't have to like with USAV; they have to bring they usually bring local folks in to, that's right to do the. To do the setups and all that kind of thing. So we had our own. We had our own people. We have a setup crew right now that's that's been with us thirty four years, 30, 30 something. And now we have second generation, third generation. Yeah, we have second and third generation of people playing. In this. So I mean, the build the building of the kind of camaraderie is a skill too that none of the association to either AAU or or USAV was able to do was because they, they, they kept changing those with, as they went from location to location. But we were able to provide that continuity that was oh, yeah. has been important in this issue. Yeah. Important and I would imagine, I mean, that, I'm sure that was an influence to uh, Roger Gowdy in, in keeping the event in Orlando right. because right. year after year now, right. that being, yeah. they, know, right. they know the drill, they know what hotel, yeah. what right. they want to do, right. Right. All, all of right. that. Right. Uh, well, how, how did the transition go from Reno to Phoenix? Phoenix, we, we were able to get a larger facility. That was that was one of the things, and we were able to. We, we felt that we were going to be able to work with the local, uh, with the local uh, hotels uh, because of our of our experience. Uh, we at in Reno, they were concerned about. That they wanted gamblers at, at their hotels. Yeah, and, and our people, our people were not. Were you tell them about your maximum background? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yes, that's the the, uh, the, uh, the casino world was really not that enthusiastic about right. us being there. They didn't. They they liked to have the economic impact, but they didn't. They did, They weren't as enthusiastic as, as they were. In, until we're about ready to leave, then they got very enthusiastic. Yeah, they did. <laughs> and, and it was a little scary because some of those casinos are owned by some tough guys. Yeah, they really <laughs> are. They oh, really are. Oh, yeah, they, they, they put a lot of pressure on us. They, 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 made a, they made a deal with uh, uh, with um, a Phoenix uh, Convention Bureau that, that they would that, that they wouldn't sign us on. I don't remember the circumstances. Brian probably remembers that. But anyhow, they they kept us in, in limbo for quite a while. Well, they had, it wasn't really a deal they threatened Phoenix that they shouldn't steal their event from them. So it was kind of a professional courtesy until we, we, know we, actually, had, guy. we actually had to sue them in federal court to, oh. to get them to back off. In order to get the, was it through the Reno Convention Center? Right. Yeah, the yeah. Sports Commission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. But, you know, Reno was nice. It was a nice five years there. Yeah, we did. We, yeah. The mayor was on our was on our side and he really was a big backer. Bob Bob Michelle. Uh-huh. Yeah. He was a great guy. 
So then, so how how have you enjoyed Phoenix? Has it been good? Um, well, Brian can because he's, he's been doing most of the negotiating with them from the very beginning. Oh, it's been great. So I mean, once they expanded the convention center to like a million square feet, that's when it really became evident to us that this would be some place where we could come and put 100 courts down in one facility. Uh, beautiful convention center, multi-level, so you're not just you know, running across you know acres of land. You actually can get to every court within probably about 10 minutes. Uh, right in the middle of town too, right? And you've got top tier hotels uh, right now. Walking distance to top top tier hotels. You know, and then you've got resorts, you know, across yeah, you across go. the valley that if people want to do more of a staycation with it. Uh, and, and, and it's easy easy drive from several places, let alone flights. Yeah, yeah Southern California, which had the most genius at that time. Did you ever uh, could you ever imagine the uh, this whole growth? Oh no. <laughs> So when you first got involved, what were you thinking? Were you thinking, like, maybe I'll double in size? Well, I, I wasn't even sure we were going to get to tier two. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, you, you know, you, but you you worked it mm-hmm. like you saw. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you, like you said, you, I think you had the best uh, you had the best interest of everybody. Mm-hmm. What you've seen over the years, what you studied, as far as the value of athletics for like young women. Well... One of the things that I found is, is that the young women come to sport with quite a different agenda than men. Okay. And they, they bring a, a, what I call the culture of care versus the culture of, uh, 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 the, the culture of competition. Uh, uh, and they are able to bring the kind of, of, of um, atmosphere that we all, all of us involved in youth sports want to, to have happen there. We, we want, we really want the culture of, of our moms mm-hmm. rather than the culture of our dads to be there that provide us with the kind of, uh, with the kind of environment that encourages women to be involved in sport. That was one of our main, main issues. And the other one was is that there would be an opportunity for them to learn for the from the for the parents to learn and uh, a bit about parenting. Sure. Uh, I mean, if we when they learn to become good sports parents, it, it there's carry carryover into their you know their family relations. Yeah, doubt about it. And you've written a book on this. Yeah. So I, 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 how, many, how many books have you published? Well, we're, I haven't published a lot of books. I published a lot of uh, of I published a couple of books. One was uh, from uh, from the Bleachers with Love, which was a, uh, an advice book for parents, and uh, then another one was uh, was about women's sports and, and the and the benefits of this. And right now, I'm in the process of putting together. I, I have I have enough material for uh, you won't believe this <laughs> 17 books. <What? laughs> uh, just with my, the, the articles that I've written in relationship to the programs that we that we've been running. You, you know, if you if you were taking a hundred team tournament to a thousand and dealing on 34 sites, I believe you that you have 17 <laughs> books in there. Something, something tells me you just might have 17 books in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, they're on all on topics of youth sports and, and ways in which you can look at and different ways that you can look at the at the sports uh, experience. And what it can benefit, how it can benefit, and how it can damage people. I mean, there's a lot of damage that it can do. Speaking of which, let's go back to USA. Oh, it's a joke. <laughs> uh, but how is it dealing with these large um, organizations like that, like USA and AAU? I think you kind of were putting. 
they're not necessarily pointing one or the other out, but you were kind of putting your finger on it was it's, it's hard to be like personal. It's hard for you to have, you know, the kind of growth and innovation when you're a large administrative right, group. Right, and it right. really t- it's really a challenge to do well, that. The USAV has, has wanted to maintain control over everything that's going on in all of the different regions and all of the communities. They're not sure. They're and, not right. they, 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 and they wanted a piece of the action in all of those places. If you want to be a part of them, then you have to give them a piece of the action. The AAU, when they came on board, they were much more uh, grassroots, uh, locally oriented, and they did, they did not demand that you be become an, an appendage of them financially, and that kept that keeps the entrepreneurial spirit alive with those people at the local level. And I hope they don't depart from that. In order, if they want to really develop develop the sport, they need to have entrepreneurs, people that know know the communities. Know that know how to put things together, and that and that's that's the main distinction between the two organizations. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very appropriate um, observation there. And I don't I don't so, see that changing at all. So I mean, they they, no. they do that in volleyball, they do that in track and field. Yeah, that's that's their basketball. They've been doing that for, for forever. Um, I mean, that's how I originally, you know, got involved. I I knew what the AAU was because I was always a student of the Olympics, and so right. So I knew what the AU was, but a guy just, you know, this guy, Gino, that did AU baseball came to me and says, you want to do junior beach volleyball? And my um, motivation for us to get involved with it was because the kids I was coaching at my Catholic um, elementary school, mm-hmm. didn't, not all of them had the money to play indoor. Mm-hmm. And so they couldn't play club, and the only teams we couldn't beat were the ones, the girls who could play club. And so I said, but could my kids play on the beach? And he's like, yeah. And so that's why I got involved. Mm-hmm. But we were able to kind of develop it as we saw fit. And Roger Gowdy came out for the first year of our nationals. He goes, this is great. See you next year. And and then he did nothing but support it. And then we just kept growing. Well, my, and my, my first experience with AAU was after I graduated from Stanford, uh, they recruited some all-star teams from the from the Bay Area, okay. and the AAUs ran a, 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 a championship, a, champ- oh, okay. a local championship, and if you won that, you went up to the next level and so forth. So. <laughs> they play little, little hoops for the AAU. Right, 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 right. Well, there's been nothing, um, but I, I think I told you this before we started this. As I um, spoke to different girls that played in your event, mm-hmm. different ages, anywhere from 50 to right. to, um, to the 30 so far. And I said, you know, and every one of them has this tremendous glow that comes mm-hmm. over them. They have such great feelings. Good. And um, as mentioned, it wasn't so much who won first place. It was more the barbecue or the parade right. or the ability to like, have that off day and all bond together. And it was like, obviously, you guys' vision was somehow... And we had, a, uh, we had a luau. Well, well, the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the Hawaiian teams came and continued to come. Beautiful. And they would put on a, a, a luau. And, ha- and so, I mean, there, there were all these kind of side events that became a part of the culture. I remember a pig being roasted. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> there were. Oh, how did I miss that year? How did I miss that one? And then, um, you know, I also just have to say the um, your motivation to 
uh, not only you know make sure that everybody was represented, uh, but felt appreciated, mm -hmm. and you know, and then moving the education this part, you know, you've done yeah. you've done really significant work that will continue, you know, to be. Uh, well, to, the, to, the beauty is, is that Anna and Brian have 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 taken that culture that we created, mm -hmm. which is not a command and control leadership. The kind of leadership that we use is that we it's, it's bottom up kind of leadership where everybody has their own role and we don't interfere with what they're doing. We, we monitor it to make sure that everything's together, but we, we, don't, do, we don't do any kind of, uh, of uh, regulation of any of our people, and so therefore they continue to keep coming, and that's what keep, provides the continuity, and, that, and we've got our grandchildren who've picked up that same that, that same philosophy, and we think that the same might keep going. I think I told you that uh, I interviewed um, John Wooden's grandson, mm -hmm. Craig, <coughs> and one of the things he, when Craig came back, he said, Coach, you know, he said, Dad, or, or Greg, you know, I did everything like you did. He said, that's the last thing I wanted you to do. <laughs> he said, he said uh, I wanted just to do your best. Uh -huh. you, sound, you sound very much like that kind of yeah. leader that has, you know, laid the foundation, and now it's their turn. To keep moving, well, moving the ideas forward. Well, one of the things I have, I've written it, and I just was reviewing it a couple of days ago. I have a section on on John Wooden and Bobby Knight, contrasting <laughs> the two of them. Yes. And one of the things that I report in this uh, in this particular chapter is is that when we went in to uh, have uh, to do the televising of the uh, of uh, the interview with John Wooden on his 90th birthday and asking him about sports, sports parenting and so forth. So we, we go in there and we're in the living room and uh, here's this guy that's, you know, world-recognized uh, world as, as an athlete and as, as a coach. I believe it. As a coach. The room is lined with pictures of family. There's no, not, no evidence at all that this guy did anything with sports. And his whole discussion that we had with them was focused on those on the children. And, and one of the, the, the nicest pieces of that conversation was is that he said, you know, before you leave, Dave, I want you to look at this, at this album I have. And my grand, one of my grandchildren uh, put together this album for me for my birthday. And he then thumbed through it to share that. He didn't want to share anything no. about his sports or anything. Isn't that, yeah, he did, that's he the did. kind of a person he was, and that's the kind of model that I think we need. And we need more of that, and there isn't enough of it, that's for sure. I would agree. Well, it's, you know, I have to tell you, this has been um, an honor for me. Be able to come here to the, to the founder, and I got it all going for the rest of us. Good. Congratulations on what you've done. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Dad. Right on, buddy. Thank you for coming to Of course. Yeah. Thanks for watching and listening. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is produced by me, Marley Rice, and Christine Jinbo, and edited by bad boy Bobby McCall. Original music courtesy of Lennon Music Production and original images courtesy of Sienna Lennon Photography. A big thank you to all of our contributors of the show. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is a production of Sports Stories, Inc. and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or wherever you watch and listen. Make sure you press that subscribe button, give us a review, leave a comment. It will really help us grow the show. 
And you know what else will help us grow the show? Head on over to patreon.com slash Jenny Lennon to get some never-before-seen videos, pictures, interviews, and so much more. We are all over social media and constantly sending out clips on Facebook, conducting fun polls on Twitter, going live on Instagram, and more. To find all of our social media links, head on over to sportsstoriespodcast.com. SSDL proudly supports the My Stuff Bags Foundation and the Heroes Movement. Links to how you can support and help these foundations can be found on our website. We also want to give a big thank you to all of our partners of the show. So, as Coach Lennon would say, any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email me, Marley, at info at sportsstoriespodcast.com. We want to thank all of our followers and listeners, and we will see you next time. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon starts at 5. I hope I get home on time. I hope I get home on time. Hey, man, hit the gas, will ya? Sports Stories with Denny Lennon comes on at 5. Meow. Check it out, bud.